Hey friends, good morning. Let's open up our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah 35. If we have not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kenson. I serve as the pastor of our Bridgeport Church. So really grateful to be with you all. Uh, your pastor, the South Loop pastor here, your pastor is actually uh, serving my folks at Bridgeport right now with the sermon that he gave last week, which was just a fantastic job. Occasionally we do this. We, we have our teachers kind of just travel to all our different locations. Uh, just to have a chance to be able to have a chance to be ministered by others just through the handling of God's word and uh, to be blessed in that way. So thank you for sharing your pastor with us. Now, as you guys are turning to Isaiah 35, um, as many of you know, we, are, we started our Advent series last week in the book of Isaiah. And the word Advent literally means arrival or coming. And it's during this season as a church, we remind ourselves to wait and hope and rejoice. That 2,000 years ago, Jesus came as an infant to live the life that we can never live and died the death that we deserved. And to also look forward to when Jesus returns again as our conquering king. This is why the book of Isaiah is so fitting for Advent, because it is filled with promises of a future king and savior who will put all things right. So for these next few weeks, you know, we're going to be looking at some of these prophecies about this future king and savior and what it means for us today. And today we're going to look at the theme of hope for us, the theme of hope. So with that, Isaiah 35 here, 35 here, let's, let's, let's read this. So we're going to look at the theme of hope or specifically joy here, the, the hope that joy, that brings joy to our lives. So Isaiah 35, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Verse 3. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold your God. Will come with vengeance, with a recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. Verse 8. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's been said that deserts are where you go to die. You know, one of the most famous deserts is in California called Death Valley. You know, it was given this name when a group of pioneers from the 1840s died while trekking through the valley. 
You know, it's well known that people can live three days without water. In Death Valley, you can only survive 14 hours without water. You know, during the summer, it becomes one of the hottest places on Earth. As a matter of fact, the hottest temperature ever recorded on the planet Earth was in Death Valley, 134 degrees. That in the desert, there is no shade. Dry sand is blowing into your mouth. There is scorching heat. There is nothing but barren land for miles and miles and miles. The desert is a brutal place to be. You know, Isaiah starts us there today in this harsh desert. And he does this not because the people of God are in a literal desert, but it's what the desert signifies. Desperation, anguish, hopelessness, joylessness. Some of you are in the desert today. Now, you might not have experienced it personally in Death Valley, but we've all experienced a level of desperation and anguish. Life gets tough. Our spiritual lives get dry. We feel feeble and weak. Maybe we're in a season of relational dryness and we're thirsty for deeper connection. You know, maybe you've experienced a season of spiritual wandering and you lack direction and purpose. Or maybe you're in a season and you're just dealing with really hard circumstances, financially, physically, or at work, and the scorching heat of these situations is draining the life out of you. The desert is an ugly place to be. It's punishing, it's unrelenting, it's unforgiving. The desert is where you go to die. And that's where Isaiah begins this prophecy. Now, let me just give some historical context to why Isaiah is writing this. Now, Isaiah is called by God to be a prophet. Now, a prophet is someone who communicates messages on behalf of God. And for Isaiah, he was responsible to communicate to the nation of Judah. Now, during this ancient time, the nation of Israel was split into two kingdoms the northern kingdom Israel and the southern kingdom Judah. And surrounding Israel and Judah were three very powerful nations, Assyria to the north, Babylon to the east, Egypt to the south. And let me just show you a map of what this would have looked like back in those times here. Now, Isaiah 35 is written 10 years after Israel is annihilated by Assyria. Assyria was a pagan nation. They didn't like God, didn't care much for God's people. And Judah knew that they were next in line. Because if you notice on the map here, if any of these nations wanted to attack each other, especially if they wanted to go down to Egypt, if they wanted to have a military advantage, all roads led through Judah. So you can imagine that Judah, this weak little nation with not many people and a small army with little resources, they are scared to death. The nations that surround them are going to destroy them. And it's at this point, Isaiah gives these words from the Lord in chapter 35. These are words of encouragement. Words that call the people of God to trust him and to know that he will bring everlasting joy. That in the midst of their desert, God gives them a glimmer of hope. And this is good news for us. God does not want us in the desert. He didn't create us for Death Valley, but he created us for the garden, for paradise and eternity with him. Look at verse 10 again here. Verse 10 says, And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, 
everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. The word everlasting means that there is a joy that goes on forever and ever and ever. And it's unlike the joy that the world gives that doesn't last very long. You know, for example, every year my wife Susan, she labors over getting the perfect Christmas gift for our kids. And when Christmas Day comes, our kids open up the gifts. They are ecstatic for 24 hours. And then it's December 26th and they've moved on to something else. That is how things work in the world. Joy fades. But for those who entrust their lives to Christ, there is everlasting joy. A joy that will never, ever, ever end. God did not create us for the desert. He, experienced, he, he created us to experience joy in him. So with that, here are the two questions that we're going to answer from this chapter to learn more about this idea of everlasting joy, especially in this Advent series. Uh, and the first question is this, why should we have everlasting joy? And I'll just give you the answer right now. God will heal a broken world and humanity. And here's the second question. How can we experience this everlasting joy? God provides the way, capital W. So first, we can have everlasting joy because God heals a broken world and a broken humanity. Look at verses one and two again here in chapter 35. It says, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy in singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. So what we have here is a picture of creation restored. The desert and parched land in the wilderness will blossom. The images here are of Lebanon and Carmel and Sharon are places of lush beauty and fruit in the ancient Near East. And let me just show you a picture of what the hills of Carmel look like here. Now, if you look at the hills here, let me ask you, how many of you right now will go to the paint store and buy yellow paint, green paint, orange paint, and purple paint and say, I'm going to paint my house this color right now? None of us would do this. This is a disaster waiting to happen, but yet look at God's handiwork. He puts all these colors together to make something incredibly beautiful. God is promising a day of a renewed world. Now, now why would a renewed world, a renewed land, be such cause for such great joy? It's because it means that the curse has been lifted. You know, for the people of Judah, a desert was more than just a dry and desolate and hot place. The desert was a representation of God's curse on the land. This brings us back to Genesis chapter 3. You know, Adam and Eve are placed in the garden to work it, to keep it, and to enjoy it. But there was one prohibition. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Adam and Eve, tempted by the serpent, disobey God and eat from that tree. And in response to this sin, God gives a series of curses. And one of the curses is on the land. Let me show you Genesis 3 here, verses 17 to 18. God says this to Adam. And to Adam he said, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. 
thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. So as Adam works the land to provide a livelihood and to cultivate the ground, the ground, because of sin, is now going to war against him. You know, the reason your gardens or your flowers keep dying or your grass is full of weeds or your vegetables don't grow in your little, like, you know, condo, urban pot, whatever you have, right? It's the curse of Genesis 3, and some of you are more cursed than others. For example, I'm really cursed because all plants go to die in my house. I am convinced. I know Genesis 3 is very real, okay? I experience it all the time. Now, this was, but you need to know this. This was never God's intention, this curse, never his intention. The land was meant to be fruitful. It was meant to be bountiful. It was meant to be lush and vibrant. This is what God desires for his people. But sin turned paradise into a desert. Sin caused broken relationships. Sin caused pain and death to enter the world. Sin caused the earth to be cursed. And now we are subject to the consequences of sin. Paradise was lost and now desert has become a reality. The people of God knew that wandering in the desert wasn't a reward from God. It wasn't an extended camping trip vacation. Wandering in the desert was punishment. But this is the good news. God promises a day when the world will be healed. That instead of hearing lamenting from the desert, we see the desert singing and shouting and blossoming because life is coming forth. The land is being transformed because sin is being done away with. The curse has been removed. God will heal a broken world. God can transform the most desolate of deserts into a fruit-bearing garden. He wants to make all things new, and that is an incredible reason for everlasting joy. Another reason for everlasting joy is that God will heal a broken humanity. Look at verses 3 to 7 here. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are anxious of heart here, be strong, fear not, behold your God. Will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Verse five, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water and the haunt of jackals where they lie down. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. Now, what we see here is that sin not only cursed the land, Sin cursed all of humanity with death and suffering. We see here that the people are struggling. Their knees are bruised up and bloody because of how weak they are. Their desert, their circumstances, their challenges have become too punishing and too oppressive. And this is the reality for many of us, that we've been bogged down and overwhelmed with life, that we don't know what to do, and we grow weary and tired, but there is good news for the weak and anxious of heart. God will strengthen 
and soothe us. Notice here all the different parts of the body that are mentioned. In verse 3, we have hands and knees. Verse 4, four you have hearts. In verse 5, we have eyes and ears. In verse 6, we have the tongue. This is the divine equivalent of the nursery rhyme, head, shoulders, knees, and toes. What we see here is God's way of saying, I will strengthen every part of you. From the head to your toes, from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, I will strengthen every part of you. And then we look at verses six and seven, and Isaiah writes here about water. He talks about streams and pools and springs. Now, we all know that we need water to survive, but water isn't just about surviving, but water is also very soothing. You know, if you ever watch a commercial for a soda drink or a, for, for bottled water, it's always in the context of a hot summer day or after a long workout. So you take out the can, you know, you open it up, you know, and then it goes, then you take a big gulp, gulp of it, and then you're like, ah. That, that's, that's a sound of soothing. Every time water is mentioned in these verses, it is for something desperately thirsty needing it. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams where in the desert the burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. Our Father meets us in dry and arid places. He can bring times of refreshing to sustain and soothe us. And this is what God desires, not to live in the desert, but to strengthen and to soothe and to refresh us. But here's the question. If this is what God desires for us, why are so few of us experiencing this? What is keeping us from this everlasting joy? It's because we have lost sight of our God. Look at verse four here. Say to those who have an anxious heart. Have you been there? Right, we've all been there. To an anxious heart. Be strong, fear not, behold your God. Will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Now just imagine for a moment here that the people of God are hearing the prophet Isaiah say to them in these verses, don't be afraid, fear not. You can just imagine that the people of God are like, what are you talking about? How are we not to fear? Did you just see what they did to Israel? Have you seen the armies of Assyria? Have you seen the armies of Egypt? Have you seen the armies of Babylon? And have you seen our armies? Have you seen our people? We're not warriors. We're not soldiers. Most of us here are farmers here. We don't stand a chance. And do you know what? Judah, the people of God, they are spot on. You are not going to find strength by looking at yourself. You're not going to find strength in military strategies. You're only going to find it in your God. For those who are anxious and fear, fearful and weary, behold your God. He will come and rescue you from the desert. Consider the character of your God. He is merciful and compassionate. Look to God. He will save you. God brings life. He takes us to the garden. We can experience everlasting joy this Advent season because we do have a God. We do have a God who brings healing to a broken world and to a broken humanity. Now, what Isaiah says here is so incredibly important. 
Hope and joy is not first and foremost found in a change of circumstances. It is found by first looking at your God. This is why for some of us who are in a desert season, it's because this is happening, is that we have put everything else or something else before God. You know, if you've ever noticed during the Christmas season, everywhere you turn, you see the word joy. You see it in the stores, you see it in the decorations, you see it in the advertisement that from Thanksgiving all the way to Christmas Day, you're going to see the word joy more times than any other time during the year. Everyone wants joy, but the truth is so few people are experiencing it because we're looking at all the wrong places that we're looking to that job that we want. We're looking to that girlfriend or boyfriend. We're looking to that perfect spouse. We're looking to that house. We're looking to have enough money. We're looking to have the right political party or, or the right leader in charge. Isaiah is saying here that joy is not found in the right circumstances. Notice here that he says, do not be fearful. Do not fear. Why? Oh, look, let me go ahead and just take down the armies first of Assyria. Let me take down the armies of Egypt. Let me just settle that. Let, let me build up your military so that you're stronger than them. No, he didn't say any of that. He says that the reason you don't have to fear is because you can look to your God. Everlasting joy is found in beholding your God. When Isaiah says to the weary and fearful to be strengthened and to take heart, he is saying there is a way out of the desert. I know that you're weary from the challenges you face. I know that you wonder if you can take one more step in those weak and tired knees. I know that you're discouraged and you're not sure if you can take any more. Be strong. Do not fear, your God will come to save you. God is going to come and rescue us because that is what he does. He is a rescuer. He is one who saves. And this leads us to the next question. How does God do this? How can I experience everlasting joy? It's because God has provided the way by sending Jesus. Look at verses 8 and 10 here. It says this. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if, you are, even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing." Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Now, Isaiah says here that one of the great works of the Messiah is by providing a highway. Now, in the Hebrew, the word highway literally means a way that is high. It's an elevated road. Or another way to see this is that this is a road that rises above the desert and leads us out of the desert and brings us to a place of peace and joy. We see that in verse 8, that even fools won't go astray on this road. In other words, this road is so secure, the guardrail so high and so strong that it'll keep you from going off of the road. In verse 9, it says that the road won't have any lions 
or ravenous beasts. It's a road where we are safe from all danger. In verse 10, it's a road that leads to everlasting joy. It leads to Zion. It leads to Jerusalem, to the city of God. This is a highway that is secure, that is safe, that is full of joy because it takes us to God. Friends, if you are in a desert place today, there is hope. God in his mercy will eventually bring joy and gladness where there was once sighing and sorrow. But the key to finding this is making sure you are on the right path. So what is this path? The path is Jesus. And this is the good news of Christmas. God made a way through his son, that 2,000 years ago, Jesus came into the world and performed miracles, healing, casting out demons, teaching with an authority that the world has never, ever seen. So his cousin, John the Baptist, who's in prison, he sends his disciples to Jesus, telling his disciples to ask him, are you the one that we're to expect, or should we look for someone else? This is what Jesus says to John's disciples in Matthew 11. Now, let me show it to you here. He says this. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look to another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Isaiah 35, verse five, right there. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. That's Isaiah again. And the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. Jesus quotes Isaiah 35, that everything that Isaiah is pointing to in this chapter, Jesus is the fulfillment of these promises of everlasting joy. Jesus says that I have come. I am the path. I will be the one to bring healing to our cursed world and to our broken humanity. I'm the way of safety. I'm the way of security. I'm the way that's going to lead you to everlasting joy because I will lead you to God. The highway the Messiah is building is not built with stone or cement. This is a highway built of wood, nails, and the flesh and blood of Jesus. Jesus says this about himself in John 14, 6, and I don't believe that the Bible ever wastes words. John 14, 6 says this. Jesus said to them, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if this, if this is the way God has provided to everlasting joy, who then can go on this path? It's for the forgiven and ransomed people of God. You know, in verse 8, this highway is called the way of holiness. Now, holy is a word that means moral perfection. Thus, the unclean cannot pass over it. And this is really bad news for us because our sin makes us all unclean and we have all missed the mark of God's holiness. We deserve the desert because of our sin. But the good news is that God doesn't leave us there. God makes a 
provision. In verses 9 and 10, the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return. God does not leave us unclean. He makes the way by his grace. The words redeem and ransom carry with it the same meaning. It's a picture of someone who has an incredible debt that they can never pay off. And because of this debt, they are enslaved. To redeem or ransom this person is to pay the debt in full and to purchase this slave's freedom. And this is exactly what God does for us. That through Jesus Christ, he pays the debt of our sin in full and frees us from the bondage of sin. This, my friends, is the story of Christmas. It's one of redemption and ransom. It's a story about God sending his son 2,000 years ago to experience the desert to suffer and be punished for our sins, to thirst on the cross, to bear our curse. Jesus goes to the desert. He goes to the cross to die for us. And it's because of his sacrifice, we now have life and living water. That God, instead of pouring his curses on us, that because of Christ, we, God pours his blessing upon blessing in our lives. That because of Christ's sacrifice, we will live in the restored garden, paradise for all eternity with everlasting joy. If you want to be on this path, you must recognize what Jesus did for you in his birth, life, and death on the cross to redeem and to ransom you. And it's when you trust him with your whole life, you will be united with Christ and placed on, the, on this highway of holiness. Now, some of you here today, you are not on this highway, but you know deep in your soul, that you have to get on it, that you want to get out of the desert. I just want to let you know that our deacons will be here, our elder will be here. Be glad to stand up here, and we'll be glad to pray with you and to walk you through this. Don't stay in the desert any longer. You don't need to be there. God wants to meet you through his son, Jesus Christ, and to save you and to rescue you. You know, let me close with this. In the early 1900s, you know, there was a couple by the name of Charles and Letty Kalman who were faithful missionaries to Japan and China. They faithfully served in the mission field for 18 years until Charles Cohen took ill. And his declining health forced the couple to move back to the United States where Mrs. Cohen took care of her ailing husband for six years until he died in 1924. Now, she suffered with him every day through the pain and agonizing journey and during those six years, she pressed into the Lord more than ever before. After her husband's passing, Mrs. Cowan wrote a devotional, which was first published in 1925, called Streams in the Desert. Let me just show you a copy of this book here, the cover of this book here. It's still published today, almost 100 years later. This book was birthed out of her personal, desperate desert experiences of seeing her husband suffer and eventually seeing him die six years later. But she also writes in this devotional the tender and wonderful ways that God ministered to her like streams in a desert. This book of daily devotionals was inspired by her reading of Isaiah chapter 35, verse 6. Verse 6 says, For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. You know, here's a poem that she wrote for one of the devotionals. And may it minister to your soul. Let me read it to you here. It is easy to love him 
when the blue is in the sky. When summer winds are blowing and we smell the roses nigh, there is little effort needed to obey his precious will when it leads through flower-decked valley or over sun-kissed hill. It is when the rain is falling or the mist hangs in the air, when the road is dark and rugged and the wind no longer fair, when the rosy dawn has settled in the shadow line of gray, that we find it hard to trust him and are slower to obey. It is easy to trust him when the singing birds have come and when the canticles are echoed in, the heart, in our heart and in our homes. But tis when we miss the music and the days are dull and drear that we need a faith triumphant over every doubt and fear. And our blessed Lord will give it. What we lack, he will supply. Let us ask in faith believing, on his promises rely. He will ever be our leader, whether smooth or roughed away, and will prove himself sufficient for the needs of every day. Our God is a God who brings forth good things out of our desert experiences. He's in the habit of rescuing, restoring, and redeeming lives, lives out of dry and desolate places. He will replace sorrow and sighing with everlasting joy and gladness. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, we praise you for the joy that's found in Jesus. We praise you for the joy that's found in the ransom of our souls and for the forgiveness of our sins. We praise you that we can come to the fountain of everlasting joy, a joy that nothing in this world can take away. We praise you for your promises all throughout your word, for a joy that transcends suffering, a joy that supersedes circumstances. God, would you help us to rejoice in you always? In Jesus' name, we praise you, and we pray that you help us to live the overflow of that joy.